telling where you'll end up. Can you make it through? To the night's end. She's gone. Don't feel bad. She has tricked many people with her shape-shifting. I once saw her trick a woman into believing that her husband was being unfaithful. She assumed his form, and that woman committed murder because of it. That seems a little petty. She feeds on chaos and death. You're not going anywhere, Alexander. There's a cell in the back of the church. This building doubled as a jail. Thank you, Sebastian. Please escort our friend and lock him inside. You are really going to trust him to do that? Why would we not? I am sure he was helping the priestess collect souls. He was married to her. He was the one that told me to see her in the first place. He lured me to her with promise of my daughter's issue being fixed. (sighs) For that, I am truly sorry. My part in this horrible mess is not lost on me. I will do anything to make up for my sins. A bit late for that. It is never too late for forgiveness from the High Priestess. Ask for forgiveness and she will shower you with love. She has affected so many lives here. Sebastian is set on correcting his ways. Edward, Mary, please assist him. Stay with Lizzie. (laughs) Her power will not be stopped. Not by you or any of those peasants. That may be so, right now. But we will find a way. At least you can't do any further damage. There were others helping, though I'll not tell you who they are. (laughs) Keep your eyes open. I hope you know what you're doing. Let's move on. We have more seals to collect. Allegra will help once we free her. Let's go. Blue Bottle. Written by Eamon Murphy. Narrated by Grimm. Jeff had been half aware of the blue bottle in the car a few minutes before it definitely impinged on his consciousness. Buzzing annoyingly, he realised that it had been grating, unidentified on his nerves. There it was again. He dared to take his eyes off the road for a split second to locate the blighter and saw it land on the rearview mirror. A fat, ugly creature with transparent wings, a blue body and two large, multifaceted eyes. He flicked his hand at the mirror to make it move, and the car swerved alarmingly on the tight bend. A truck coming the other way sounded its horn loud. Jesus, this must be the most dangerous road in England. Jeff was talking to himself again, an old habit from his lonely bachelor days, but he hardly realised. There was too much on his mind as he steered his old Skoda Felicia along the A358 to Minehead. 
driving too fast and well aware of it. On every curve, signs warned of danger. 69 accidents on this bend last year. 10 deaths in this junction 2008. Thousands killed on this road every month. Jeff had exaggerated the last one, but the general message of the sign was clear. This was a dangerous road. It would be especially dangerous now, slick with rain after a long dry spell with big puddles forming in dips and potholes concealed by water. The rain was still lashing down, the wipers were going full pelt and he could barely see out the windscreen. The Skoda's dim headlights barely penetrated the gloom casted by the dark clouds overhead. Today this was a very dangerous road indeed, and still he drove too fast. Amanda's voice kept repeating itself in his head, round and round and round. Jeff, come get us. Please, Jeff. I can't take this place anymore. Sam is so sick. The local doctor said it was just a neuronavirus and he would get better. But he isn't. Come and get us, Jeff. Be quick. He was being quick. Maybe too quick. It was meant to be a dream holiday for their son. A week on the sands at mine hid in the August sunshine with mum, while dad worked a string of seven nights at the hospital and made the money to pay for it. Jeff could have peace and quiet to sleep in the day, and the rest of the family could have a pleasant break. Unfortunately, it hadn't worked out like that. Four hours after Amanda and Sam had arrived by train in the seaside resort, they were not a two-car family. The heavens had opened. Amanda was stuck in the hotel with a bored child who, despite John Lennon's advice, didn't want to get his tan from standing in the English rain. Shortly after that, Sam had started vomiting. Amanda had rung him in a panic. She couldn't cope with illness, especially in Sam, who had been a premature birth four years earlier and never quite well ever since. Jeff had been at work, so finding her a local doctor on his NHS database was easy. However, he had been one of those grumpy, dismissive GPs and seemed to view Amanda as a hysterical mother, over-concerned and paranoid. Amanda got very angry about him on the phone, but Jeff knew how the bloke felt. As a nurse on a NHS helpline in the past, he had taken a dozen calls every night from mothers who had gone into a blue funk because a child was vomiting and had a fever. Mothers who wanted an ambulance right away for every common childhood disease. He couldn't tell his wife that, of course. Not today. She had rung him at ten in the morning and demanded he come and get them. After just two hours of sleep following his night shift, he was half bewildered and had agreed, leaving their home in Bristol straight away. Since then, she had phoned him twice on the mobile to demand where he was getting more and more agitated, so Jeff drove too fast. He noticed the damned annoying blue bottle was back on the rearview mirror. He tensed, waiting for a straight stretch of road so he could flick it away. Then it spoke. Hurry, Jeff. Amanda needs you. Jeff nearly plunged the car into the hedge to his left. He swerved back to the right and earned in the blare from the horn of another large truck coming the other way. The massive heavy goods vehicles that barreled up and down the A333 added to the danger of its bends and dips. He took a deep breath 
Flies don't speak. This was no time for a nervous breakdown. It had only two hours of sleep and was stressed, anxious about his child and concerned for his wife. For a moment, just a second, he must have dozed off. You're wide awake, Jeff. Jeff gripped the wheel tightly and kept control of the car. He took another deep breath and looked at the picture in the rearview mirror. Blue bottles don't speak, but if they did, if they did, they would surely have a sort of low, buzzing voice like that. As irritating as nails on a blackboard. Jeff spoke sternly to the blue fly without looking at it. You're a figment of my imagination. Talking fly. You're a real fly, but the voices are in my head. I'm tired and stressed. Shut up. I have to go and rescue my family. He stared fixedly at the road ahead. Oh, I'm real enough, Jeff. Flowers don't talk. There are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamed of in your philosophy. Isn't Amanda always telling you that? Jeff glared at the fly. It was true. As a trained nurse ought to be, though. Many were not. Jeff was a strict believer in the empirical science. Amanda, on the other hand, had hippie leanings. She read a local free magazine full of adverts for homopathy, reiki healing, and lots of nonsense about energy fields. He had told her until he was blue in the face, as blue as the fly actually, that there were no such things as energy fields in the human body, but she clung to her beliefs. There was a small niggling ongoing bone of contention between them. Her Catholicism on the other hand, he didn't mind. He didn't believe in it himself, but he could see that it was an ancient traditional system of belief that taught solid values, not a load of invented cod swallop for quacks to make money. Amanda went to church regularly and had intended to take the kids when they were old enough. He didn't mind that either. Later on, they could make up their own minds. The fact that the fly knew enough about his life to quote Amanda proved it was a creation of his own mind. He changed into third as the car came out of a low dip, ascending a steep hill, and addressed the fly again. I'm not talking to you. You just did? Jeff closed his mouth firmly in annoyance at the smart-ass fly and watched the road. Every bend still had a sign warning of impending doom. Chatting to me might help me be awake, old chap. I am awake. Suddenly, Jeff was not at all sure he wasn't dreaming. Perhaps he was safe at home in bed and all the events from Amanda's phone call onward were part of a dream. Maybe Amanda was still enjoying her holiday and Sam wasn't ill at all. But no, he felt the steering wheel in his hands, felt his heart beating fast, felt the throb of the 1.9 litre diesel engine in his feet. He was awake. Remember calling Jones, Jeff? Said the fly. Jeff gasped and the steering wheel jerked. His heart leapt and he wanted to pull over because his hands were suddenly trembling. What the hell do you know about Colling Jones? He demanded angrily. He shook his head. Why was he shouting at a fly? 
That was a figment of his imagination. It had to be. No one knew about Colleen except him, and he had managed to suppress the memory for the past ten years. Now it all came flooding back. She was a girl, nine years old. Her father was a drunk and her mother was a drug addict. She lived in some awful tower block in some awful district in Bristol. Naturally, both parents smoked and it would probably never be known which of them had dropped a burning cigarette onto the sofa. They were both dead and the ambulance rushed Colleen to the hospital with severe burns. Jeff was on night and was in charge of her ward, giving her a large dose of painkillers. The Burns doctor had muttered to him that she should not survive, but would spend several long hours, perhaps days, in agony before she died. Jeff had quietly increased the dose of painkillers and the girl had passed away quietly in her sleep. There was no inquest because her burns had been bad enough that she could have easily died of shock. If anyone suspected, they'd keep quiet. It was a mercy killing. It was still murder, Jeff, in the eyes of our lord, teased the fly. Jeff flicked his left hand out to swat it, swerving dangerously again as he did so. It flew off from the rearview mirror, did a leisurely circuit of the car and landed on the headrest of his seat next to his ear. Now he could hear it, but couldn't see it. It was murder, Jeff. You had no right to take another life. Your job, as a nurse, is to save lives. She would have died anyway. I saved her a lot of pain. The fly laughed. An unpleasant buzzing sound. (laughs) Are you sure? Never mind. I'm going to save you a lot of pain too, Jeff. All the pain of living for the rest of your life. You're going to die on this road, Jeff. Just another casualty of the A358. Another notch on the dangerous end side. Ten deaths at this junction since 1999 will change to a lead. It will be a kind of memorial to you. You're going to die, Jeff. And you're going to go straight to hell for the murder of Colleen Jones. <laughs> it laughed again. You're just a damn fly, Jeff shouted. The insect buzzed loudly as if to prove it. Damn certainly, old chum. Damned before God made the first man. But I am no fly. I am the law of flies. Jeff slammed his foot down on the accelerator, suddenly determined to get to Minehead even sooner, to get to Amanda and Sam and sweat relief from the madness of his own mind. You are a figment of my imagination. Some figment. The blue bottle flew into his eye. He heard a truck's horn blare and saw splashing headlights, splashing rain on the windscreen. The world seemed to spin in confusion and he yanked the car desperately to the left and slammed on the brakes. The seatbelt didn't work for some reason and he jerked forward, banging his head 
on the steering wheel. Consciousness left him. When he woke up, it took him 30 seconds or so to reorient himself. The car was in a lay-by, tilted up on a high curbstone at a crazy angle but otherwise okay. He had a bruise on his forehead that would feel a lot worse tomorrow and a headache that could only get better. He blinked and listened carefully. No sign of the fly. Of course not. There was no fly. It had been some sort of hallucination caused by a lack of sleep, stress and maybe suppressed guilt about Colleen Jones coming back after ten years. Even so, he was lucky. The near accident had been real and it was just good luck that when he swerved left and braked hard, there had been a lay-by right there. He certainly hadn't been aware of it. Now the fly was gone. The rain had stopped and the sun was shining. He took a deep breath and restarted the car. Checking the mirrors carefully, he eased out onto the dangerous road. It was not far now to Minehead. The rest of the journey was easy, even pleasant. Jeff found the hotel and went to the reception desk. The reception was a dowdy-looking 30-something dyed blonde, just the type you would expect in a second-rate seaside accommodation, but quite cheerful. She told him that Amanda had gone to the church up the road and had taken Sam with her. He seemed to be better. She gave him directions. Jeff left the hotel smiling. Sam was better, and maybe Amanda could finish her holiday after all. He could get a bit of kip in her bed, maybe even something else, and drive back to the hospital in time for the start of his next night shift. The world was looking good. The quiet Catholic church was in semi-darkness. He could see Amanda sitting on the pew, right at the front, her blonde hair cascading over her shoulders. Sam was sat quietly on her left. He crept forward and reached out to stroke her hair. Amanda, darling, I had the damnedest dream. She stayed facing the altar. What was it about, Jeff? I've been praying for your safe arrival. For some reason, I had the strangest feeling you might be in danger. Woman's intuition, I suppose. Though, I know you laugh at such things. I'll never laugh again, he said solemnly. I was in danger for a spell. Maybe your prayers saved me, darling. Oh, I wouldn't bank on that, darling. Amanda laughed throatily and turned her head. As she did so, the church around him dissolved, and he saw that he stood atop a tall, thin spire of rock. There was a sea of red and yellow flame around him. He stared at Amanda. She had the large, globular faceted eyes of a blue bottle. It spoke in a familiar, buzzing voice. Everything since the crash has been a hallucination, Jeff. We'd like to give you a little bit of hope for your eternity of despair. Like the soap in a pudding. <laughs> You're dead, Jeff. 
Jeff backed away from the loathsome apparition. No! No! Welcome to hell, Jeff. You've been listening to the Night's End Podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Blue Bottle was written by Eamon Murphy, who is from England. After a long working life, he's retired and has time to write. He's a reviewer of SF Crow's Nest and has published more than 40 short stories in small magazines. See his work in the link in the description. This episode was narrated by Grimm from the Grim Reaper's Nightmare YouTube channel. For more horror narrations by Grimm, head to the YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash zero. Jeremiah Dawn was performed by James Not Jack. For more, head to strangefigment.com. Mary was performed by Zoe Ricard. Edward was performed by Mike Ricard. Zoe and Mike are the creators and hosts of the Stories of Strangeness podcast. To check it out, head to storiesofstrangeness.com. Alexander was performed by Phoenix Fire. For more narrations by Phoenix Fire, head over to youtube.com forward slash Phoenix Fire Narrations. Sebastian was performed by Alvin Bowling II. For more from Alvin, check out his podcast, The Ghost Light Theatre Podcast, or head to alvinthesecond.com for more details on his other projects. Jimmy Horrors was performed by James Barnett. This episode was edited and produced by James Barnett. And remember, this is the final week to win a copy of Brooks' book, Ghost Games. Ensure to do the following things. Follow both of our Instagram accounts. That's at Night's End Podcast and at MacBrookPro. Leave a comment on Brooks' Instagram about the episode and tag two friends who would love the episode. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay horrific, everyone. <laughs>